Well, good morning. Good to see you. We're in 1 Peter chapter number 5 this morning, and we're going to finish up verse number 5 of Psalm 23. We have been in one verse for now four weeks looking at one word, and I'm going to read that verse just to give us a refresher of our key text. But we're in 1 Peter chapter 5 for the remainder of our study this morning. And I believe with all my heart this is a very important, practical truth that all of us need to learn. I don't, uh, I don't want to say I don't like teaching on this subject. Uh, it's not one that's easy. Uh, of all the three enemies, this is probably the hardest to talk about because uh, this individual, this person uh, would rather keep us believing these false ideas that have been created at the risk of uh, an honest threat uh, of, uh, of, of a truthful exposure of who he really is. And this morning we're going to be looking at the enemy of the devil. Uh, he makes every effort to frustrate any attempt that we make to teach and preach what the Bible actually says about him. And, and so it's not one of those topics that you go into it very lightheartedly. Uh, you're very prayerful. You know that he's going to do everything he can to uh, blur and obscure his true identity. And so we want to peel back that veneer of whatever we have conjured up in our mind that we think the devil is, okay? Uh, he's not uh, got two horns and a forked tail. Uh, he's not on the little ham can that you see at the uh, grocery store, uh, the devil ham. I mean, this, uh, this individual, this created being, this fallen angel uh, is a reality. And if you're a believer... He will knock on your door on a consistent basis. So I think, I think this is one of those lessons that's just very practical, very important to us. And so I hope you press in on it, loved ones. Let me uh, begin by reading Psalm 23, verse 5. This is the verse we've been focusing on. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And so we have been studying the three enemies of the believer, the world, the flesh, and now uh, the devil. And that's the title this morning, The Devil, if you're taking notes. So let's pray, and then we're going to get into the lesson this morning. Father, we, uh, we covet your presence. We desire the glory of God to rest upon this place. We pray that your angels would stand guard around this church. That the Spirit of God would fill this room and begin to speak to us, begin to work in our lives and help us to learn things about how the devil attacks us. That we might be aware of what he does and how he does it in his intentions. We don't take it lightly, Father. But we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we know that the devil has no power nor control over the child of God, but he will make life hard at times. And so we pray today that we would learn something we would leave here more aware of his, uh, his presence, His identity, how He works, what He's doing, what He's trying to do in our life. And we would counteract those attacks with a life of holiness and righteousness and a life that honors you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter tells us that people have questions. Two major questions that people have. He, he instructs us in verse... 15 of chapter 3, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a 
defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. People have questions, Peter said. And two major questions that people have is the question of suffering. It's a question of suffering. Begins in chapter 3, verse 14, all the way down to chapter 4, verse 19. Peter deals with the subject of suffering. But then the second question a lot of people have is not only the question of suffering, but the question of Satan. The question of Satan. And he deals with that in our text this morning, chapter 5, verses 8, verse 6 down through verse 11. Let's read it. You're in 1 Peter. Chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. C.S. Lewis said Christians make two mistakes when it comes to talking about Satan. They either joke about him or they ignore him. There's three certainties about the devil when it comes to him prowling around in our life. The first one is this. He seeks every opportunity that would prevent me from becoming the person God wants me to be. You read about that in verses 1 through 4. This is a reference to pastors, but it has a general uh, reach of everybody. Because Satan does not want you to become the person that God ultimately wants you and has saved you to be. You see that in verses 1 through 4. Another certainty is he seeks every opportunity to swallow me up in the pressures of life. You see that in verses 9 and 10, which we've already read. And number three, and, and, and this is a positive. And we get this in verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. This is the third certainty. Suffering is a good sign that I'm on the right path. Suffering is a good sign that I'm on the right path. Look what verse 12 says of chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, he says, insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. James chapter 4 verse 7 Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Peter echoes James in chapter 9. Resist him, he said, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Every effort must be made, loved ones, to stand firm against to struggle and fight the urges and the pressures that He imposes on our lives. We have got to withstand the temptation of caving in and giving in. So what is His ultimate objective? What is His purpose in coming against you and I as followers of Christ? 
It is to destroy our faith. The devil is after our faith. He wants our faith. The Christian must stand firm in the faith because the devil's after our faith. The devil, he wants us doubting, he wants us denying, he wants us drifting back into attitudes and behaviors that dishonor God. He wants us dropping out on God. He wants you to stop praying. He wants you to stop reading your Bible. He wants you to stop coming to church. He wants you to stop living for God. He wants your faith. That's why Peter said you better stand firm in the one thing he wants the most, and that's your faith. The temptation is always present, loved ones. The temptation is always present itself to abandon the faith. I guarantee you this morning, you could find every reason to quit on God. And in your own mind, it is a logical, legitimate reason. And that's exactly what the devil wants. He wants to make it seem like it's the most sensible thing to do is drop out. Just quit. What's the use? Why? The believer must keep their spiritual life in good condition. That's why it's important that you and I are constantly checking and making changes regularly by the help of the Holy Spirit. You ought to be doing a life inventory every week. Where am I at with you, God? What needs to be fixed? What needs to be changed? What needs to be altered? What more do I need in my life? Because I'm going to tell you something. The moment you stop doing that is the moment the devil will step into your life and destroy your faith. We need to understand that. So here's our supporting idea this morning. If you do not cast yourself on God, Satan may gain an advantage over you. So we have to be alert. We have to resist him. Firm in our faith, after you have suffered for a little while, God will restore you. That's our main thought. So we need a proper perspective to resistance. We are commanded to resist him. James told us that. Peter tells us that. Resist him. The one thing I didn't want to do this morning is talk too much about him. All right? To give him too much credit. All right? To some kind of, somehow in a, in a, in a, in a warped, twisted way, glorify him, so to speak. I don't want to do that. I want to know what God tells me to do to what? Fight against him, struggle against him, stand against him, firm, firm in the faith. And I need a proper perspective of resistance. First of all, resistance does not mean I come to him with these open rebukes. Let me tell you about the most ridiculous thing you can do, and that is speak to the devil. I want you to understand something. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were in the most perfect environment there was that we'll ever know on earth, the first mistake, mistake they made was they spoke to the devil. And so, my friend, nowhere in the Word of God does it instruct you or I to openly rebuke Satan nor his demons nor hell. That's a bad mistake, y'all, trying to take and talk to the devil. When I was younger in the ministry, I used to make a statement, and I guess I heard somebody else say it, and it sounded good, and it got a lot of amens, so I just plugged it into my arsenal. And I would stand up and preach, and I would say, tell the devil to bring it on. And I had an older, wiser minister come to me and set me down and said, son, that's about the dumbest thing you can preach, because he will take you up on that. 
If you want him, he'll, he'll come after you. And I stopped making that statement after that day. We do not openly, that is not what resistance is. What is resistance? It's, a, it's, a, it's maintaining a fixed position to truth. It's maintaining a fixed position to the Word of God, to revealed truth in the Bible. See, here's what you need to see. Believers must be biblically grounded in sound doctrine. Knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and standing there and not moving. And not being what? Tossed about with every wind of doctrine that's kind of floating around. Beloved, Jude said, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I find it necessary to write to you and appeal to you that you contend for the faith that was delivered to you. Fight for truth. Stand there. That's why I'm adamant as your pastor that you ought to know what you believe, you ought to know why you believe it, and stay there. Believers become an easy target to the devil because they have no clue what they believe. And here's the problem. They attach themselves to every fad and trend that is coming and going, and they're like, my friend, being tossed about by the winds of every doctrine of our day, and the devil's got them in his, play, in his playground already. The one people, the one person or the people that he has the most trouble out of is those that know what they believe, why they believe it, and you ain't budging them. Bad English, but it's true. Amen? It's like the old saying, I'm too old to change now. Amen. And so that's what we need to understand. And he gave, listen to what Paul said, and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or to pastor, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Listen, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. You know what he's saying? Be a man and woman of God and of the Word. That's resistance. Believers cannot just listen to anybody who teaches the Bible and think they're Teaching you the truth. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, John said, but test them whether they are of God or not. Listen, here's the one way you can tell whether a person is teaching the truth, whether it's on TV, radio, podcast, whatever it may be, compare him to the Word of God. That's why it's very adamant that you know what you believe. Because here's what you need to understand. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so it is no surprise that his servants are transformed into what? Servants of righteousness. So in other words, you could be listening to the devil and not even know it. And he's got you believing what he's teaching you. Because you don't know what you believe and why you believe it. The devil's a liar, John 8, 44. He deceives Roman, Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. And so the only way you can stand against the devil, the only way you stand against a liar, the only way you stand against deception is stand on what? Truth. The truth. The truth of God's Word. Amen? So the anti-biblical viewpoints that are imprisoning people and holding them captive, they're not withstood by human ingenuity. 
You don't rebuke nothing. I want you to know, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power, what, destroying strongholds. So that's how Satan gets you. He what? He puts a stronghold on your life. And what is that? That's a way of thinking. That's a pattern of thinking. Incorrectly. To the point that it's what? Controlling your life. So we're not fighting just any old enemy, y'all. We're fighting an enemy that doesn't play fair. Destroying arguments, every, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Take every thought captive, he said, to the obedience of Christ. Let me tell you something. If you're a child of God, the devil's battlefield is not your heart, it's your head. And if he can get in your head, he's got you. That's a stronghold. If he can get you to doubting and disbelieving, if he can get you to thinking that man dropping out is the best alternative you've got, the only alternative you've got, he's got you. That's why he said you better take your thoughts captive. You better hold them things in subjection to the Word of God. Amen? So if the devil can change your thinking, listen to me, he can change your living. Amen? If he can change the way you think, he'll change the way you live. That's why it's important if you're a child of God, you ought to know what you believe, why you believe it, and live and stay there. And if you hear somebody that says, oh, I'm a minister of the gospel, I got a word from the Lord, you ought to take your Bible out and say, let's see how much of a word of the Lord you have. Amen? The devil's major point of attack, and I want you to get this, and I think it's right here embedded in our text. You've got your eyes on a copy of God's word. And I think this is something I needed to know and you need to know this morning. Because I think we've got this thing all mixed up, how the devil attacks us. Because let me tell you something. I want you to listen to me real quick. If you're a child of God, the devil does not attack you like you would think he does. I'm going to tell you something. The devil's going to be where he can cause the most problems. Amen? See, we have this thought that he's out in the world doing his worst work. No, he's in the church doing his worst doing his best be honest not his worst excuse me and let me tell you where the devil attacks us and I think it's right here embedded in what Peter is concluding this letter to to these churches in Asia Minor he's attacking us in our problems in our pain in our suffering in our struggles in our hardships that's where he gets us that's where he gets us I don't know about you but that's where he gets me because, man, you put me in a situation where there's pain and I've got problems and I'm going through struggles and I'm in a storm and life's not going good. I have every reason in my mind to say, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm out. I don't want to pray. I'm mad. How many people do you know that when they're met with some kind of adversity, the first response is normally what? I'm mad at God for doing this to me. Or when somebody faces death of a loved one, they say, I'm not coming back to church because God took my loved one from me. The devil doesn't play fair, y'all. And the devil knows where to get you and where to kick you when you're down. And so he gets us in our problems, in our pain, in our suffering, in our struggles, in our hardships. Amen? Because he knows God saved me. I'm no longer living for the devil. I'm living for God. And so the things that I used to do don't bother me no more. But you inflict something on my family or on my life. And look at Job, my friend. Look at Job. 
The devil said, does he not serve you for nothing? Are you telling me that he's not getting anything out of this, God? And God said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to let you do what you need to do to him. You're not going to take his life. And the devil inflicted so much pain. It took, he, look, he took Job's family. He took Job's farm. He took Job's friends. He took Job's wife. Left him sitting in the city dump, scratching boils off of his body with a piece of pot, a pottery. The devil gets us when we're the most weakest and the most vulnerable in life. And nothing is more weaker and more vulnerable when our life becomes what? A mess. When we're going through struggles, when we're going through pain, when we've got problems piling up. Let me give you a testimony if I may. Can I do that? I spent the day yesterday with a good friend and we went uh, to a, a place up in Odessa and I said, hey, we went to eat, and he said, hey, you want to go to Academy? I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to go to Academy. I just want to go home. We got right to the exit. He said, man, you sure you don't want to go to Academy? I'm like, yeah, let's go. I got what I needed and went to the checkout. A guy was sitting there, and the first thing out of my mouth was, how are you doing today? And the guy looked at me, and he said, I'm not doing good at all. And this is a worker Academy, cashier. He said, I'm not doing good at all. I've got... I've got colon cancer, I've got stomach cancer, and my bills are piling up. And I don't even feel like living anymore. I don't see the use of living anymore. I'm telling honest to God truth, it happened yesterday. I said, man, can I do something? Can I pray with you right now? I said, I don't care who's standing in this line, I don't care who's in this store. Can I pray with you? And I ain't lying, the dude walked around the cashier and grabbed my hand and we prayed and when I left and turned around and told him, I said, listen, I'm going I'm to be praying for you. He had big, big tears, crocodile tears dripping off his face and off his chin. You don't tell me the devil don't get in your head and tell you what's the use. Satan does not play fair. And when you're the lowest, he'll kick you when you're down. So let's look this morning, if you would. You're with me, all right? You're with me. What are the ways which we as believers resist the devil? Because I believe with all my heart in the context of what we're studying, Peter is saying this, this is how you resist him. And it's not by an open rebuke. I don't, I don't, I don't think that would be a good play for you. Amen? One preacher said, we're not spiritual enough to take him on. That's a sad statement. And so how does Peter tell us, here's how you do it. I, I, when, I was, when I was studying for this, I was thinking about some of y'all, what y'all been going through, and I can remember things you've said, and I'm thinking, that's exactly how that booger fights. Yeah. He can't get us any other way. Amen. But he can get in our head. And so when he's prowling around your life like he does, prowling around your house, prowling around your family, how are you and I to resist? I'm going to give you five fundamental principles to living in resistance. That's what God said. You better live in resistance. You better live in resistance. You better live in resistance. Live in resistance. Amen? So you got your notebooks, note, notebox, notebooks out. Here's the first one. It's in verse number five. The word is submission. 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 Look what verse five says. Likewise, you who are younger. Now, let me build a context real quick. Look at me real quick. Can we have, let's just do a Bible study this morning, okay? Context, verse number one. So I exhort you elders, which would be pastors among you, fellow elders, witnesses of the suffering of Christ. 
Shepherd, look what he said in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So he's talking to preachers in the beginning, all right? He said, listen, be a pastor. Shepherd those people. Don't be a dictator, but lead them, love them, care for them. Don't do it because you're going to get something out of it. Do it because why? You want to. Do it because you love them. Do it because you love to, amen? They're not much of a pastor if you don't love the people you serve. Amen? If you're just doing it because there's paycheck and a pension plan and all kinds of extra pleasures, man, you're in it for the wrong reason. Amen? But if you do it because you love the Lord and love the people you care for and you want to see God bless them, man, I'm telling you right now, that's a pastor. Never seen much. I never seen a shepherd kick his sheep. But he cares for them. Amen? And so here, look what he said in verse number 5. He's talking to the whole general consensus now. We go from, all, we go from the men to the whole general consensus. Look what he said in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, and that doesn't mean age, that means younger in the faith. You that have, you that have not been walking with Christ very long, right? Because, boy, I'm going to tell you something, those are the ones the devil really goes after. Look what he says here. Be subject to the elders, in other words, what he's saying is you who are young in the faith, find your pastor and sit under him and grow in your faith. Listen to him. Let him love you. Let him care for you. Let him help you. Okay? Look what he says here. You with me? Say yes. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but give what? Grace to the humble. Now listen to me. I have to recognize this is subjection. This is submission. If you want to resist the devil, I have to recognize the value other Christians bring to my life. I cannot live an aggressive and headstrong Christian life because, listen, I can't do things my way. That ain't going to get you very far. Listen to this. i got to be willing, and this is humility, y'all, to seek wisdom and guidance from those that have been going through it longer than me. Amen? You don't know the times that I've had to call older ministers and say, listen, I need a word. I don't know what I'm doing here. And Paul said, listen, I mean, Peter said, if you're going to resist the devil, you've got to realize how valuable and you've got to be humble enough to realize, I can't figure this out on my own. I need some help. And sometimes, listen, sometimes that help comes vertically, but sometimes help comes what? Horizontally. Amen? Remember what he said in verse number 9? Your brothers are going through the same thing you're going through. Why would you not go to them and say, hey, I need help? Submission. It's extremely beneficial. Let me tell you something. Everyone in this church will never suffer the same. But you all suffer. There is a distinctiveness about us, a uniqueness about us. You handle problems different than I handle problems. But here's the amazing thing. If we submit to one another, think about what everybody brings to the table. Amen? And I need that. Number one, it's unity. And there's power in what? Numbers. Amen? But listen, you bring a peace, you bring a peace, I bring a peace, and we grow by that, we learn from that, and what? We resist the devil because of that. Submission, number one. Number two. Humility. Humility. Look in verse 5. God opposes the proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble. 
So if I'm going to resist the devil, number one, I've got to what? Learn to be submissive to what? One another. Amen? Listen, no, listen, no Lone Ranger Christian ever made it. I gotta have I gotta have my I gotta have my I gotta have my people around me. Amen. Why is it? Let me ask you a question. Why is it when you get bad news from the doctor, the first thing you do is call everybody you know and say, I, I need prayer? That's submission. How do you deal with this? How are you getting through this? I need to know that. We bring something special to the table. Amen. Amen. Ain't that good? Number two, humility. Humility. Look in verse six, what he says. Humble yourselves, before, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the, at the proper time He may exalt you. So the hand of God will not move faster than my impatience. Yeah. God's hand will move no faster than, than my impatience, nor my impulsiveness. You're not going to move God's hand because you want it to be over. It's not going to happen. Listen to this. Humility is me waiting and remaining faithful while God works in His own proper time. There is this potential. Now, this really got me. There is potential for me to become overtaken with pride in my seasons of suffering. Do you realize that people that go through suffering can become proud? That's kind of weird because most of them I've ever met kind of humbled, kind of beat down, kind of feel like they're, you know, really at the... Bottom of the ladder? No. Let me, give you some, let me give you some ways. First of all, sometimes when people are going through pain and suffering and problems, they look down on others for not having the right attitude and the actions that they do. Yeah. We feel like we've got it all figured out, man. We've, we're doing it right. Even though we're going through hell, we're doing it right. You ought to be doing this. That's proud. Here's another way. I feel this... This sense of superiority of how God is working in my life through my situation and not working in yours. Well, you don't understand what I'm going through and how God's doing with me. That doesn't make you an expert. That's pride. Here's another way the devil say, I begin to discriminate against other people based on the dynamics of our struggle. Well, you don't understand yours is not as severe as mine. Well, last time I checked, pain is pain and problems are problems and struggles are struggles. I didn't know there were some big ones and some little ones and some in the between. To everybody, a problem's a problem. Amen? Anybody's pain worse than severe? No, everybody thinks theirs is what? And so we begin to discriminate and say, well, you're not going through what I'm going through. You don't really understand the severity of what I'm facing. That's pride. Look what he says here. Another thing, here's what the devil will do. You'll misuse praise for an opportunity to boast. I've seen this so many times being a pastor. People get up during testimony services and it turns into a me session instead of a God praising session. It's look what I'm going through. Look what I'm facing. Look what I've done. Look what I, and it's, wait, 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 wait a minute. Where's the praise for God in this? So we misuse praise and begin to boast and begin to discriminate. We begin to look down on others and we think, why, why aren't you acting the way? Why, why? Oh, I can't believe they quit going to church. I went through that and I stayed faithful. That is pride, my friend. He said, humble, humility. And so the devil gets in that and says, boy, you're just uh, cut above the rest. God gives grace, he said, to the humble. You know what a humble person says? I'm very aware of my limitations and my character weaknesses. I'm fully aware of that going into this. I recognize and I acknowledge God's hand in every detail of my circumstance. Did he not say, humble yourselves where? Therefore, under what? God's hand. 
I see his hand in this. I see his hand in this. I, I recognize his hand in this. He brought me in it. He's going to get me through it. I'm coming out the other side by his help. That's recognizing the hand of God. See, the devil don't want you to do that. The devil wants you to realize, oh, man, maybe the hand of God's against you because that's why you're going through it. No, God couldn't be more for you. All right? So God is doing something dynamic. He's changing your life by the hard stuff you go through. Let me tell you something. I had a thought when I was studying this. The, main, the one road the devil travels the most is the road of problems Christians find themselves on. He stays on that road. Man, if he's got your number because you're going through something, he'll keep it. And here's what he wants you to do. He doesn't want you to acknowledge God in anything. And listen to this. I'm not stuck in my sufferings and in my struggle. Because in God's perfect timing, guess what he said? He's going to exalt you. There's going to be an end to this. There's going to come a stopping point. Things are going to become to begin to change. But it's all in God's timing. And so the devil will get you impatient and he'll begin to push you to be impulsive trying to move the hand of God. And that's where you get frustrated on God because it ain't working like you want it to work. And God said, in my proper time, I'll bring it to an end. I'll change your situation. I'll do this and I'll do this. That's why people have been suffering and going through things for years and all of a sudden they have a breakthrough because that's God's proper timing. And the devil wants you to get impatient in there. Am I preaching to the choir or what? You know it to be true, y'all. Here's the third one. Trust. Look at verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, I can always trust God to help no matter what I'm going through. That man, I'll tell you right now, I'd get up on my feet and say, you know what? Hallelujah to that. Because he's always there to help no matter what I'm going through. Anybody not had God show up in your life when you needed him? He's always there to help. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 6. Psalms 40 verse 17 is for me. I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help, the psalmist said. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Anybody in the house this morning need a help from God? Can I tell you something? He'll give it. You are my helper. Now, I can confidently take my problems to God. Amen? Cast all your anxieties on Him. Can I tell you something? God's got, God's got some big shoulders, y'all. He can handle it. You say, I don't know about my situation. Oh, you don't know my God. He can handle it. Amen. You know what? Here's the problem. Your shoulders ain't big enough. And some of you trying to shoulder this thing. And God said, man, if you'll roll that over on me, I care enough for you. I'll carry it. I'll take care of it. I'll help you. Look at this. Here's what God's going to do. My emotions will be kept in check. To keep me from reaction, reacting in a dishonoring way. God will keep your emotions in check if you roll that thing on Him. Amen? Your anger won't get out of control. Your frustration won't get out of control. You won't go into some deep, dark hole. Here's another thing God will do. I will not have to go through more than what God knows I can bear. Amen? Some of us feel like we're sitting here this morning thinking, man, I'm about to my end of, end of the rope here. I don't know how much more I can take. And God said, I do. Here's another thing God will do. When it gets to the breaking point, God's going to give you strength to make it. Amen? You ever wonder how some people make it? 
I do. I'm like, I don't know how they've made it. It's like one after the other, after the other, after the other. It's like they never come up for air. How do they make it? God. God. In my weak and vulnerable moments, God will ensure I don't become a victim of the devil's attacks. And here's the next thing. God is building confidence in me. I can trust Him for anything. Man, if God can get me through this, man, He can get me through anything. Trust. Here's the fourth one. Self-control and vigilance. Look at verse number 8. This is just simple stuff. Are y'all with me? Y'all tracking? Be sober-minded, verse 8. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now listen to me. I have to live in a state of constant awareness of unexpected attacks from the devil. That at any moment, from any direction, I could be met with a potential of failure. You do understand that. Here's what you need to understand. My life cannot become cluttered and consumed with so much stuff. Not necessarily bad stuff, just stuff. Let me tell you what the devil will do to you. The devil will keep you so busy that you'll drop your guard. He'll keep your mind so cluttered and consumed that you'll drop your guard. I cannot let my life become so cluttered and so consumed. And here's what's really bad. You and I contribute to that. Because we got to think we ought to be in everything there is to be out there in it. And the devil's like, yeah, just keep going, man. That's what I need. Because the, further, the more you deeper you go into it, the more or less you're apt to be aware of what's fixing to happen. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I never knew it was going to, it would come at me that way. Somewhere they dropped their guard. Amen. Listen to this. To be controlled, not given to indulgence. Put a, listen, some of us in this church, and I'm going to be very honest, and you know I love you. Some of you need to reset some boundaries in your life. Because you've given yourself to excessiveness and to indulgence, and the devil's like, yes. That's what I, that's, that's, yeah. here's, here's the thing. We give him too much credit sometimes. Because sometimes we create our own worst problems by cluttering up our life and, can be, and saying, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I, how many of you sitting in this church this morning think, and I want you to be honest, man, there's just not enough time in the day to get everything done. Are you kidding me? I, I, I say that all the time. That's just what the devil wants. He wants you to be so consumed and sometimes he don't even have to, listen, sometimes all he has to do is just sit back and fold his arms and watch you do it and walk right into his trap. Then he gets in your head. Yeah? Man, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Keep working, man. Come on. You're really being a good, you do this, yes, yes, yes. Then you get that pride thing back and say, man, you're kind of doing good in life. Yeah. And the devil's like, I didn't even have to do anything. Self-control, vigilance, being sober-minded, Peter said. Because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around your life looking for an opportunity to do what? Step right in there. Amen? The old preachers used to say, don't ever leave the front door open and don't leave the back door unlocked because he will get in. Amen? Listen to me. I have to, listen. I think I may just stop right here. 
I have got to take life more serious. I've got to take life serious, man. I have got to. I cannot let my guard down. And I can't, listen, here's, this is dangerous. I can't adopt the mindset, that ain't going to happen to me. That ain't going to happen to me. I tell people all the time that are being counseled for pre-marriage counseling, no relationship comes with a guarantee. Show me that in the Bible. It ain't there. No relationship comes with a guarantee. You cannot sit back and say that'll never happen to me. Because when the devil hears that, he's like, yes. What a very... What a very crazy statement to make. There's no relationship with guarantees. And so we've got to take life serious. That's why Peter said you've got to be sober and you've got to be vigilant. Because your adversary is prowling around. Let me tell you something that's very important about Satan. He's very active. Okay? He's very active. And he's just looking for somebody. Just someone. Anybody. Anybody. Amen? Anybody. Last one is this. Confidence. You know how you resist the devil? Submitting to other believers. Uh, humility. God, I, don't, I, I, I can't do this. Let me tell you something. There's no grace for the proud, but plenty of it for the humble. I can't do it, God. Me, I can't do it. I know me too much. Right? And trust. I'm going to trust you with this, Lord. Some of you need to trust God with whatever it is you got going on because the devil is wreaking havoc in your life. He gets in your car after you leave church, sits down in the passenger seat, goes home, comes in your house, and just sits there. And I'm going to tell you something. Can I tell you something? The devil doesn't have that much power over the child of God. No. My God's a lot bigger than he is. In fact, my God created him. Amen. Not the devil, but the individual he used to be. And he's subject to the sovereignty of God. Read Job. God said, I'm going to let you touch him, but I'm going to keep a very tight rein on your leash, dude. Yeah. But don't you think Job felt like, man, I don't know how much more I can take. His wife looked at him and said, you're such a fool. Why don't you just curse God and die? His friend said, oh, you must have sinned bad, Job, to be in the situation you're in. And the whole time he didn't realize that the sovereign hand of God was permitting just to prove the character that man had. And in the end, you know, do y'all know how the book ends? He is blessed doubly. He's doubled his blessings for staying true to God. Yeah. The devil the whole time like walked away kicking a can. Gosh, are you kidding me? Yeah. That's what you want. You want the devil walk away from your life kicking a can saying, well, I guess not. Amen. Here's the last one. Confidence. Confidence confidence. Verse 10, look what he said. And after you have suffered a little while, you need to underline that verse. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace is going to do what? He's called you. He's going to establish you. He's going to strengthen you. 
He's going to restore you. Being eternally called to glory doesn't mean you're not going to go through difficult times. It's because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to face the devil. Amen. In fact, he'll kind of call you a little bit more frequently now. He'll come a-knocking a little bit more frequently now. The road to heaven is a bumpy one. Nothing about being a Christian is easy or smooth. But here's the great news. We may not always feel like everything's right, but in the end, God's going to make it all right. Present sufferings are always connected to eternal glory. Always. Now I'm going to end with this. Let me give you this, this real quick. You say, how many of you got that little word? Well, it's, How many of you have restore in your Bibles? You see that there in verse 10, is there, is there a word there, restore? That, that same word of setting back a bone after it's been out of joint. So God's going to set everything back the way it should be. So get this. All the damage that we've accrued during this life, God's going to set it all thing, everything right back to where it needs to be. It's like, listen, it's the same word using the Gospels for Peter and James and John mending the nets. He, God's going to sew everything up. Because here's, a, here's, a, here's what we need to understand. When we go to heaven, when we go through this life, man, there is some things that's just, I mean, we're going with bruises and bumps and cuts and scrapes, y'all. God said, I'm going to set that thing back right, and you're going to come into eternal glory. That's a great word, man. You say, I'm failing God. Don't worry. He'll set that thing back. He'll fix it. Now, here's a, here, here's a conclusion. If you follow Jesus, you're going to have to deal with the devil. It's the bottom line. That's just the way it is. You've got to deal with the devil. He's going to seek to swallow up your life with problems and pains and pressures, and he wants to devour your faith. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to walk out those doors and never come back again. Never. It was told to me by an individual, and I shudder to even think about this. That's what they said to me. Pastor, I've given up on it. I'm done. I've given up on it. I'm done. I'm done. I mean, what does he mean by that? He's done with God and he's done with church. I'm done. I'm give up on it. I'm done. That's where the devil wants you. I'm done. You say, how do I resist him? You submit. Grab you a good, grab you one of your brothers and sisters and say, I'm going through something. Can you help me? Trust God with that. Humble yourself. Get serious about life, y'all. And have confidence that God's going to set everything back right one of these days. Where I've, every failure I've made, every mistake I've made, God's going to set that thing back right and said, okay. You've been called to this. I'm going to set all the, I'm gonna, all the damage that's been accrued in your life. I'm going to pop that thing back in place. And we're going to go right into the glory that I've destined you for. Where are you at in all this? As we end this little mini-series, where are you at? Is there something you need to trust God with? Is there something that you need to put on Him, casting all your care upon Him? Maybe the devil's playing with your head right now. Maybe you need to come down here and say, Lord, I need you to take my thoughts into subjection. Make them, take them captive. I don't want to think this way. I don't want to feel this way. Some of you might be on the very line of saying, you know what? This is the last Sunday I will ever go to church. I'm giving God one more chance. And after this day, I'm out. Maybe you're right there on the line. Maybe you made up your mind when you come to church. When I walk in the doors, I'm never going to walk back in. I'm done. 
I'm going to give him one more chance. And our impatience and our impulsiveness is not, it's not rushing the hand of God, y'all. Because he said in proper time, I'm going to pull you up out of that.